0: All right. Uh, episode 44 with Abhay. So we've we've been wanting to uh, talk about uh, talk on this episode for a very long time. Uh, both of us have had some busy schedules and all. So yeah, here we are finally. So Abhay, thanks yeah. for uh, joining my show. Uh, it's a really uh, anyway, you're a really uh, stimulating person to talk to. You have <laughs> a lot of knowledge as well.
1: So mm-hmm. I think this well, I've had a lot planet. of time on this planet also.
0: <laughs> that's true. That's true. Okay. Uh, so usually uh, I've, I met Abhay in a community. So he has this, uh, he usually does this uh, part where he just starts off talking about all uh, how movies have been affecting him and how it's affected the society as well. So he calls it, I think you came up with the name, no finding yourself. Yeah.
1: Okay. yeah find yourself in cinema
0: yeah so find yourself in cinema is his uh, version of or his take on everything that's happening in the movie sphere so why why don't you just talk me through what, why you started that
1: so okay so i've been uh, like many many people i've been a, a serious movie buff for the last uh, well as long as i can remember it all began, like I'd mentioned in one of my uh, sessions, uh, it all began because my dad was a hardcore movie buff. And I grew up with like every, almost every other day, we would watch a movie, My dad would come home from work. And then, you know, over dinner, we'd sit and watch a Hindi movie. VCRs had just come out in, you know, in the early 30, early 80s. So there was a lending library that was close to my house. And, you know, there was this excitement of being able to watch movies at home. So I grew up in a household that was, you know, movie crazy in that sense. Uh, so mm. movies have been a very important part of uh, shaping my personality, shaping my worldview, shaping my personality. And I found that it's been very encouraging, empowering at times, and more importantly, very intellectually and and once in a while, spiritually stimulating. Mm. So when I talk about cinema, for me, it's not just, uh, you know, like an audience member, of course, I am an audience member, but I find that I invest very, very seriously into into that medium. So I take my, uh, in general take filmmaking and cinema and cinema as an art form as a medium very seriously. Mm. Um, I so find yourself in cinema was a series I decided to, to try out in that excess of the community that you know, where we met. Uh, where I wanted to share with people like you and you know other movie buffs who are there apart and there are some serious movie buffs in that extra step to say that let me share my journey with cinema over the last uh, 30 years and hopefully create a space where we can have serious discussions about this medium, because the thing about cinema is, it's a challenge, it's very accessible, right? Uh, one extreme mm. is, for example, jazz, which is not or Western classical, which is not that easily accessible, you need to, you know, go through some training, or you need to have a profound understanding of the, of that medium to really appreciate it. Uh, mm. Whereas cinema is, is very acceptable and very reach accessible. Uh, you have, you know, it, it's, it's the most powerful and influential media form on this planet. And has been for you know more than hundred years. Uh, so that's what makes cinema so powerful. And I wanted to then have a space where we could discuss the true impact of what cinema has. Because quite often, because it's so easily accessible, people don't sometimes get the clear picture of how it's impacting society, how it's in- impacting each one of us individually and society in general. So I thought let me start with my personal journey and then, you know, open it up to other people of the community and see where that debate goes.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> see that uh, that actually makes a lot of sense because uh, uh, as like the understanding that I have about the evolution of cinema in, in our country is that we started from I think the usual origin of cinema started from all of those plays that were happening, you know, be it in the Victorian era or in India, or wherever that is we used to have all of these dramas, all of these plays that were being done, usually mythological and all of that. But mm-hmm. that, that I think the, the background of drama, theater and all is the influence of how cinema is be was shaped in India.
1: I mm-hmm. think
0: even the first uh, ever film made was some mythological movie, if I'm not wrong in India, but mm-hmm. I think the development and the evolution of how it's done is really uh, generic and is really deep rooted to our entire culture itself. For us, because as you mentioned, a lot of movie buffs as well in India are, you know, they just don't look at the movie or they just don't look at the actors acting. They they come to the theater, they just fall in love with whatever's happening on the screen. I think that's That's like, uh, you can mention, you know, how people are with books, right? Like how Mm -hmm. people are book uh, addicts, they read a lot of books. I think this Mm -hmm. is a separate sphere for people like us itself.
1: Yeah, it's a very, very separate sphere because uh, books by default require literacy, Hmm. right? You need to be able to read and write, uh, read a language to be able to consume books. And we just take it for granted because we've had an urban upbringing. Uh, and uh, for a lot of people in cities, also education is a bit of a challenge. Mm. So books definitely is a lot more limited in terms of its access. When you look at the country on the whole and look at the challenges that we have with literacy, whereas cinema requires no literacy. And like you rightly said, it has its origins in, in, in theater. Uh, but if you, if you look at the essence of what cinema is, it's campfire storytelling. It has its origins that can go back to, you know, 10,000 years. Uh, It's the same experience that you know early man had sitting around a fire, looking at the stars and making up stories about the stars, right? It's the same thing that cinema is. It's escapism at its best. Hmm, So we tell each other stories because we escape the mundane realities that we live in, and we share our experiences of life by sharing stories, which happened around a campfire, which happened in song, which happened in dance, which got into literature, got into mythology, it got into theater and it came into film so filmmaking as a medium is new but filmmaking as a process of storytelling goes back 10,000 years I mean you know for me personally the movement um, we found like when you see the cave paintings that some of them go back you know 20-25,000 years that's part of that storytelling for me that's no different from the cinema of that time Mm-hmm. Right? You have the caveman, you have the caves. They're cave paintings, they're telling each other stories, they're building narratives, they're creating a fantasy world inspired by what they see around them. That for me is, is today's filmmaking. So from that point of view, I think the need to, to listen to sh- stories and to share stories is, is a very, very basic human need that goes back to the origins of our species. So cinema is just the most powerful form of that that we have on the planet at the moment.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I have this question. Where do you think? Okay, so from your experience of watching movies as a kid with your dad, how do you think the movies uh, in general have evolved like to this present date?
1: Hmm. Um, So the evolution of cinema, uh, cinema has many aspects to it, right? One is Hmm, the basic storytelling, then there's the technology behind it. And then the way it's distributed the way it's consumed. Uh, before the before the VCR came in, there was television before that there was before television there was only screens so as technology has come in, it has shaped the way the movie is being consumed and therefore it 's changing the way movies are being made um, For me, I think uh, the way cinema is going now, I think the, the emphasis has predominantly gone a lot of evolution has happened in terms of Uh, the technology that's going into cinema, right? So Mm, you have the Avengers and you have this and stuff. If you go back and I don't know if you saw, did you see the original Superman with Christopher Reeve?
0: Uh, yeah, so I if, think so. Yeah, you must yeah.
1: Do bits and pieces of it. Right. So if mm, when you yeah, go back yeah. and look at that now, and, and you look at Clash of the Titans and cinema that was made, science fiction and fantasy cinema that was made in just as you know, I mean, for me as recently as early 80s, hmm. um, you, 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 it, it's almost, you know, farcical now. It's like almost like cringy now. It's like, oh my yeah. God, that looks so terrible. But for us at that time, that was fantastic to see, you know, Christopher Reeve, Superman to take off and fly like that, at that point, it was completely believable, because that was the best way that could be shown to us that was never shown to us uh, with that quality at that time. Hmm, Yeah. And, uh, uh, and so therefore, I think what's changed the most over the last three years has been the technology that's gone into storytelling. But the quality of storytelling in a way has pretty much remained the same. So there are movies that are made in the 60s, 70s and 80s. And then, and, and, you know, we watched Buster Keaton made 1920s, the origin of cinema, which are still as entertaining now. Very few have stood the test of time, but are still as entertaining now, you know, 100 years later. You know, and the movies that are really exciting now, uh, which are technologically very advanced, are still terrible films. So I see the evolution of cinema has happened more in terms of a technology perspective, rather than the storytelling perspective. I've been watching Star Trek, uh, the original series, which was made in the late 60s. And some of the ideas that that, uh, Gene Roddenberry spoke about then are Mm -hmm. still not discussed today. Mm -hmm. He was, you know, 50 years ago, he was way ahead of his time. So in terms of that, I find that uh, storytelling hasn't improved that much. I think sometimes the problem is the technology and the special effects and all of that sometimes dominates storytelling, people are so Mm -hmm. excited about making a movie look good, that they don't pay attention to the story or the script. Yeah, yeah. And I find that some of the sci fi films and some of the superhero movies have been a victim of that. They're Mm -hmm. trying to bang in too much visual excitement, and not not spending enough time in character and plot development. So there has been improvements in some area, but in some areas, it has remained the same or maybe sometimes even gotten worse.
0: I think uh, that's the advantage that uh, all the people who are filmmakers back in the 80s or something had, because nowadays we have all of this technology that's so dominating the entire industry that everyone just emphasized on making everything look good, as you mentioned. But I think going back to whatever you mentioned about Star Trek and all that, I think the best way of storytelling for me was uh, the original Star Wars series. Like uh, when I was going through all George Lucas's interviews and all, he brought up the topic about how, you know, there's this entire conflict of how humans are uh, very different. Like uh, even if we talk about the capitalist and socialistic thing, I think uh, the two opposing uh, factions they fight against each other to, You know, it's good versus evil. Some uh, a storyline like that. I think that was the most simplest way of storytelling, which he took it up a notch. He he made it intergalactical. And look at uh, the Star Wars universe now; it's just uh, booming. So I think that's the yeah. best way of how cinema was you know used as a medium to convey a message back then. But now, as you mentioned, it's all no just make make it look good not everything mm-hmm. else
1: yeah. true um i'm glad you brought up the star wars series um for me i think star wars I, I, of course it came out and i was in the theater i was watching the theater in the in the late 70s and I can't even begin to explain what that experience was. You know, I mean, to, to uh, right now, the new generation is growing up with so much Star Wars information. Mm, yeah. when, when we saw it in the theater, we had no information about it. We just thought, oh my God, there's this cool space movie with, you know, aliens and stuff. It'll be really cool. And we were blown away, right? There was, there was no background. There was no history. There was nothing. There was no build-up anticipation, nothing. We just went there and we watched it raw and watched it plain and we were just completely, you know, knocked off when we saw that. Uh, There was no internet, no, you know, no trailers, nothing. It was just brilliant when we first saw it. Um, And for the longest time, of course, you know, like everybody I was a big, huge fan of Star Wars and stuff. But then more and more, I got into cinema seriously. And I started watching other sci-fi and I started watching, you know, things like 2001 Space Odyssey that was made before the Star Wars series and all Mm -hmm. of those things. And I started consuming. I realized that how simplistic the plot was right and not necessarily in the best way it didn't it didn't challenge you that much it was pretty much almost like cowboys in space right Hmm. and it was good and evil very clearly defined and the solution to almost all of it was war Hmm. it was in a way like a celebration of war and when i started watching star trek and and started watching the, the the going deeper into star trek the federation and and the purpose of the federation that goes to explore is first of all it's an exploration vehicle it's not hmm. a, it's not a, a military or an army you know it's not a it's not a armed forces vehicle that's going to conquer it's an exploration vehicle the 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 entire premise of the of star trek is to make peace and understanding with species around you and conf- and war is and conflict is the last resort
0: hmm.
1: so any given point, the premise of Star Trek was to spread the word and the line that we come in peace and to spread the word of you know friendship and and collaboration. Uh, and in case and they had the prime directive where you don't get involved with the with, 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 a, with any civilization that's not evolved technologically. So the whole premise of Star Trek was completely the opposite in a view of Star Wars where Star Trek was, which came out of curiosity of mankind to go and explore the universe and to make as many friends and allies as you went along and you never resort to conflict. So that part was really, really interesting. And, and, and I realized that there's a reason why there's a big faction. There's a difference between the Star Trek, a, a Trekkie and a Star Wars fan. There's a big divide there. There's a big difference there. Mm-hmm. Philosophically, That they're dealing with two different ideas, even though they both happen to be set in space. And being set in space is the only little thing that they have in common. Mm-hmm. so the power of so if i can go into a little bit about star wars i think the reason why the franchise became so important is because this is the thing that i find very interesting and in, uh, about cinema is the power of the filmmaker pretty much determines uh, the consumption of that medium what i mean to say is lucas was a very talented filmmaker mm-hmm. and he made star wars really really well and because it was so so joyous and fun to consume like you know like fast food like bubble gum with like all of that with the cute characters and the yoda and this and that and stuff and the simplistic storytelling that it's spread like crazy right but the problem is what are you spreading what 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 idea are you spreading the the whole thing of basically man's conflict being the resolution to any situation and It's the human humans that will dominate, you know, the planet on an interplanetary level. Also, we will come out victorious and we will resolve all all conflict with war became, again, a dominant story. So it's no different from being a cowboy and the same problem. I have looked at the same problem I had with Avatar also. You go to another another universe and then you bring war there and then it will be it's a human. And when I mean human, I mean white male who resolves that conflict with war. So this is, what I was, this is what I meant where I say, you know, cinema is so powerful, but the message that because it's so powerful, you have to dig a little deeper to say, what is the message that you're really, really sending out? And predominantly, most of the cinema that comes out of the US, most of the problem that comes from the US, cinema comes from the US is it's very white male dominant. Mm. And it's about saying that, that it is their supremacy. It's the same Tarzan thing, right? Africans, you know, being dominated by the king of the jungle is a white mm. man. Yeah. So that, that's the same problem that I have with with Star Wars also. And the same problem, you know, that I have with Avatar. So that's why for me, the debate to have about, to talk about cinema uh, on a on a slightly more serious platform is to say, we're consuming so much of it. We need to start becoming a little aware of what we are consuming.
0: Mm. Yeah. That makes sense. I think uh, when you got up the point of how Star Wars and Star Trek blew everyone away, in, like when you guys went to the theater and watched it, I think that was the same experience for me when I watched Avatar. Like, uh, mm. it's take away every other aspect that you talked about with respect to how, uh, what the meaning was. But when, you just, when I just stepped into the theater and started watching that movie, I was taken aback by that grandeur with that uh, amazing technology, technological uh, I, I don't even know what to say but that movie is mm-hmm. so fantastic for me. I think uh, that's like a, uh, that's like an event that happens every uh, often like 30-40 years in the mm-hmm. process I think for you mm-hmm. it was Star Wars, for me it was Avatar, for maybe the next generation or so it will be some other movie that will take mm-hmm. everything back. I think uh, it should people have to focus on how to inculcate the proper story and uh, technological advancements to, you know, give like a wholesome experience. I think when we talk about the wholesome experience, Kubrick's movies were everything. Mm -hmm. Like they were Mm -hmm. a total package. Mm -hmm. Like if you look at The Shining, uh, that Mm -hmm. one, I think he he made a lot of changes from the book itself. But Mm -hmm. that movie, when I watched it, it was... Really terrifying. Like, you mm-hmm. can really understand what's going through uh, that Jack Nicholson's head in that. You know that entire process of him uh, starting to lose himself. think like, uh, those are those are the type of movies that are really lacking nowadays. I feel
1: true. Uh, that kind of cinema. Th- the problem with cinema is it's a it's a commercial activity. Hmm. Uh, you it's very rare that you can. Mm, get a movie that's commercially successful, but at the same time has a, like you said, a wholesome, you know, a socially responsible plot that because that's, that's not easy to come by. Um, the, going back to, you know, uh, quickly about Avatar, that blew my mind when I saw that. Uh, I mean, that level of, of special effects and that, that level of, you know, visual design and, and mm. therefore visual experience uh, I hadn't seen you know after like you said Star Wars uh, as an adult I hadn't seen that level so mm-hmm. that definitely blew me away but what I had a problem I, but the sad part is when I when the second part started unfurling and the conflict happened I'm like man you had such a great idea you could mm-hmm. have done you know something wonderful with it but um, when you look at I think the the for me now more than cinema I've started I've started watching a lot more shows uh, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, Television or the streaming platforms now are definitely pushing um, storytelling and um, far more than what cinema has been able to do. I think uh, the Netflix and the HBOs now have pretty much taken over what cinemas used to. Cinema used to be in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s because you have the freedom to one you have the freedom to explore an idea over you know years in some cases. And therefore, you're not in a hurry to resolve a conflict within 90 minutes. Mm. Right. So when you do that, because quite often the the problem with with a lot of films today is that, you know, they they build a great plot. The act one is great. Act two is great. And then they have to resolve everything quickly in the last 25 minutes. Mm. You know, and and that's what can quite often it kills Mm. the experience altogether because they have to wrap things up very quickly. But the beauty about shows now is I mean you know you look at the more obviously the more popular ones like a Game of Thrones and stuff like that you're able to to create a much larger and much more deeper experience of storytelling through that process because you're given you know six seasons seven seasons eight seasons and, and in some cases 10-12 seasons to to flesh out an idea um, so I think uh, to give you a more uh, round experience or, or, or more responsible or or a deeper experience i think now i turn to shows a lot more than i turn to to turn to cinema i think for me in the last uh, 10 15 years i most of the movies i spoke about in find yourself in cinema have been movies that i have seen in the i have seen uh, in the last in the 80s and 90s mm. but in the two you know like last 10 12 years i haven't found cinema that has been as uh, moving or as uh, transformative as I did in cinema earlier, I think now uh, streaming platforms and shows have taken over that role.
0: Yeah, I think that's a very good point to bring in because, as you mentioned earlier, it, it's like a step step towards something good, but at the same time, a lot of steps backward in terms of what the message is, what they want to you know tell to the people who are watching that uh, show or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Uh, so Okay, yeah, sorry, sorry to interrupt,
1: go on. Uh, no, so yeah, that's uh, all. So I think when we're talking about, if I were to link it to the question that you're asking me, saying how, how has cinema changed over the last 30 years, hmm. I think cinema has, is starting to get left behind with, with shows. And I think a lot of the talent is now looking at uh, writing more for cinema and look at the number of, look at the names that have gotten to shows, right? Recently, you had Hugh Grant and uh, Nicole Kidman in a show, in a hmm. mini series. The who's who of Hollywood now has got into television and got into shows. So I think uh, more and more people are realizing that this format of storytelling, this format of, of sharing an idea is becoming more rewarding even for uh, the, the, the artists, even for the creative people, for, the, for writers, for directors, for actors. They are given a, a platform now where they can explore their range uh, that much more with that much more creativity because of the format. So I think cinema, it will be interesting to see what cinema does taking on this onslaught. And of course, television and access to that, it's become a lot cheaper also for people to get access to a good quality content. I mean, going for a film and, you know, in India and abroad is a fairly expensive thing. So, uh, experience. So what I've started seeing that's happening now is there's a lot of emphasis of the cinema is taken over is become a space where you go and create movies that are visually challenging and visually uh, very uh, exciting. So the superhero movies will get more emphasis because Mm. that's what will draw people to come into into the theaters because, you know, you go to IMAX and you see Wonder Woman or you go to the large uh, screen, you want to see you want to see action on large on a large screen. So I think I have a feeling that uh, television is going to take the more serious drama and cinema will not completely take over, but will 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 find it more financially rewarding to make uh, visually more spectacular films. Mm. Yeah. So I think that polarizing polarizing is starting to happen and will probably happen a little bit more over the next few decades.
0: Hmm. Okay. so bring up the concept of how uh, how movies have become like a commercial mechanism to draw in and pull in a lot of money. No, uh, I think I would be fair if I mentioned that, like, mainly in India, the whole perspective of making movies and filmmaking and all, mainly revolves around the aspect of making a commercial movie around, like, having one lead actor who's very established, putting him in the middle role and putting him in the primary uh, seat and then... uh, spinning a yarn around him to make it a commercial success i think that's what is happening from the past uh, i think from 2000s or uh, something if i'm not wrong i think that's mm-hmm. the entire entire aspect of what people are looking at right now as filmmakers and movie makers and all that i think some of the movies that I, if you know kannada movies that is mm-hmm. i think upendra mm-hmm. was one of the very mm-hmm. uh, how can I phrase this? I think he was the one who, who got in a lot of creativity into his work mm. to okay. the industry itself. Mm-hmm. So how do you think people should, you know, get to uh, get to their proper mindset to uh, bring about a balance of how you understand commercial movies and how movies are supposed to be like to give out a message to make people understand and to make people educated with an aspect of life. Um, that's a
1: good point. My, uh, I think a lot. Capitalism has basically skewed everything on this planet, right? Uh, mm. When people, when when you have the big budget uh, films being made, you're putting in, you know, hundreds of crores in the U. S. You're putting in hundreds of millions of dollars in the movie. You can't afford to have that movie fail, right? When you're putting in that. When you look at uh, the revenues of Lord of the Rings is like a billion dollars. Avatar is like some whatever billion dollars. It, it's unimaginable that cinema is making that kind of money. Uh, the 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 Star Wars franchise and you know all the other stuff that comes along with it, uh, the merchandise and everything. So it's making it's become these things have even in India now with the big budget uh, films coming out. The problem is that when you when you have the, the financial aspect predominantly driving. Uh, an art space, the art space has to feed and fuel the financial aspect, uh, which is true not just with cinema, it's true with music, it's true with painting and art, it's, it's true with any, any aspect of art. When, when the aim of that artistic expression is to generate finances, that's when the debate ends. It's no longer about the artistic expression, it's no longer about the larger story, it's about how can I make sure that this makes a lot of money. Uh, so that's why you, you make sure you get big stars, you make sure all that happens. So not just in Bollywood, in Hollywood, right? I mean, look at the Avenger gang, it's, it's all stars. Hmm. So everywhere, it's the big names. You, you still have, you know, Tom Cruise making, you know, um, Mission Impossible 7. You still have these big names coming in and doing stuff. So everywhere they're like, okay, we are putting in so much of this amount of money. I need to make sure that I get that money back. And if people are going to come and watch my movie because that, because of a big star, so be it, I'm going to put a big star in and, and you know, even all the way down to Wonder Woman. So if the need to create uh, generate revenue is the source, then it becomes very challenging. Then you have to play it as safe as possible. But mm-hmm. that's why I see the, I see hope in small budget films, right? Where the pressure to generate revenue is not that high. The second redeeming part has been against streaming platforms. So now that you're getting HBO and Netflix and, you know, now even YouTube has gone into producing content.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: They're, they're able to get their revenue models, are subscription and are very, very different. So they are able to fund a certain kind of cinema that mainstream theatrical release and mainstream studios will not be comfortable doing. So I think uh, that is one aspect of it. The second aspect of it is I think when people say, Hey, listen, there's so much money that needs to be made and therefore we need stars. I feel that that's the easy way out. Hmm. I think if you want to make money and you have resources that are limited, I think it has to push your creativity that much harder. And I think there have been some, some movies that have managed to break through and get come out of that and be, you know, huge successes. Uh, you know, one of the movies that comes to the top of my head is uh, the movie called a movie called Full Monty that- came out, I think in the early 2000s, mm. you know, which had no known stars, no known whatever it was a series. it was a really short film. Uh, it was a really small budget film that did really, really well globally and got you know, made into many other remakes and other parts. So I think the, the challenge becomes uh, th- that much more if your budget is, is restricted, but uh, you need to uh, need a story to be told. I think that challenge created, uh, people should take up that as a challenge and not look at that as a limitation.
0: Mm. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, so talking about the entire meaning and how people perceive because like, in general, like every piece of content and every piece of work that's put in in the social media sphere, like there is mm-hmm. a polarizing aspect to it. Like if right. I say, if I say ABCD, some other person mm-hmm. will be like, okay, it's not ABCD. It's, it's the other way around. There'll be a different opinions. So right. how, how do you think? Uh, a filmmaker must convey to the audience. Like, you can't stop people from thinking dif- what they think, what they want to think. But how do you think the true essence of what the filmmaker is telling should, will get conveyed to the people, to the audience? Uh,
1: true. I, I think uh, people having opposing points of view is healthy. I think it's important that it's, it's, it, it'll be worrisome if everybody agrees with what you're doing. Yeah. then there's quite often, more often than not, that can be a bit of a challenge. I think to have uh, opposing points of view is always healthy in, in any sort of personal growth that's needed uh, as an individual or as a society. So I don't think any filmmaker or anyone who's expressing an art form uh, should worry about getting contrary points of view of uh, his or her expression. I think uh, what what creative people should work on and filmmakers should work on is to be uh, clear about what they are sharing and
0: what is the intent behind it. Okay, sure. okay, yeah, yeah. Continue, continue.
1: So what is the intent with which they are sharing something or creating a film? Is it just for the sake of being sensational? Uh, do they just want to create a controversy, which happens a lot in terms, in, in both in India and, and abroad? Or are they truly making a point of view that they believe in? And it might not be the popular opinion. And if that is the case, then they, then they are in a much better position to take their stance, to say, this is what I believe in. And I am going to take this position and I'm going to be open to hearing multiple points of view and hopefully having a debate about it or to create a film, put into society and let society have a de- debate about it. So I think that is the healthier way to go saying that, okay, I'm going to have something important to say uh, and I'm going to say it and I'm going to leave it out there. And I'm willing to defend my point of view, because this is what I believe in. And hopefully this becomes a space not just for me to to stand on my soapbox and talk about what I feel, but can I then share this in society in general and let that debate begin? And maybe they will, will come out of a deeper understanding of something. So I think that is the position that one should make, make cinema from. And more often than not, especially the big budget ones, it's difficult for them to risk that because if the response is not positive, that means you're not selling tickets and therefore you're not generating revenue. Mm -hmm. So very, very few big budget films will ever take a controversial position or position that's not popular. Uh, But the smaller budget films are the ones that are taking that, uh, taking those decisions, taking up those positions. And the ones definitely that are coming on streaming platforms are. I think that platform has allowed and encouraged people to take that position on even more. In fact, I would even go to the extent of saying that, uh, that space probably, you know, uh, encourages it so that you get more viewers coming in and subscribing mm-hmm. uh, the, the whole, uh, you know, black mirror series that I saw that was that was on, on Netflix was was fairly provocative in terms of what it was discussing. It was, of course, pushed a little bit, created a little bit in the future, uh, set mm-hmm. a little bit in the future, but some of the positions that it took on were quite disturbing. Um, but that got a lot of people to talk about it, to log in, to, you know, to, to start subscribing to Netflix and at least come and watch the show. Same thing happened with the Wild Wild Country, I think, the one on our show. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, apparently in India, there was a massive uh, spike in uh, YouTube, I mean, in uh, Netflix subscription when that came out. Uh, so I think it was a fairly controversial documentary to make. And of course, uh, Rajneesh was, you know, uh, still very much alive. His ashram and stuff is very much alive uh, in this country. So a lot of people turned to that out of curiosity to see. And the position was fairly uh, interesting. And, you know, it created quite a bit of debate. So uh, things like even uh, the the matrimony Indian, map what was that one that came out? Yeah, uh, the, About,
0: yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I remember that. I remember that. That right? was like a so, huge so, debate, yeah
1: that was a huge debate. And these were these are important debates to have. I mean, whether you call it regressive, progressive, all that is secondary, but the fact that people are talking about this is, 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 is good. And uh, there was, you know, and I saw these kind of things are starting to happen uh, on streaming platforms, which is encouraging for cinema. Unfortunately, I'm not seeing that happen as much as you know, it could have or it did in the past, because that was the only place where You could uh, share a a point of view. Filmmakers could share a point of view. But now that's coming on two streaming platforms. So Mm -hmm. to share a holistic point of view, I think your intention should not be to be controversial. I think the intention should be, okay, I'm going to tell the story. It might be painful. It might be difficult. I might get into trouble for doing this. But this is my belief. I've thought it through and I'm taking a position on this. And let's start a debate about this. I think that's the way these uh, films should be made.
0: Okay, so I have one question for you about this. So when you talked about how it's healthy, I, I really understand how it's healthy in the in terms of how uh, when a filmmaker does a movie, he puts it out on the screen and everyone are watching it, they have polarizing opinions, which is completely fine. Because that's how uh, progress and that's how debate and uh, discussion is what uh, stimulates for progressive people. But how far is it good? When there's one one uh way or one half of the section that's saying, see, look, this is what is right and that is wrong. Like there's an oppressive section which just uh firmly believes in what they are telling and they don't even would want to hear the other side. What do you think that should uh that would be don't you think that would be a problem, like in the when you put out a movie without uh having any intent of what you're trying to convey to the audience? I think if my that, question is clear.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, it is. I think uh, that that has been a problem in the past uh, in pretty much every country. Uh, some countries have gone to the extent of saying that nothing will pass through the government and we will censor everything that will cause that issue. Uh, and uh, some countries have said, OK, let this debate go and we'll draw, we'll, we won't really censor much and see, let's see what that happens. But I, I, I can't think of any country right now where there hasn't been cinema that's caused some serious unrest and in, in, in a lot of cases, even violence and, you know, unfortunately, damage to, uh, I mean, people have gotten hurt and in some cases even killed. Uh, mm. That has happened uh, across across uh, all countries and it's happened as far as cinema has existed. And, and similarly, it has happened even before cinema has existed. So I think um, there is no way to truly completely prevent that. I think the only way a society can prevent something like that is through heavy censorship, which has got its other issues. But if we were to create an open society, uh, there are going to be a few films that are going to be flashpoints. Mm -hmm. And those flashpoints are in a way, a a reflection of where that society is in its evolution. Right? Uh, Unfortunately, I I mean, ideally, we'd not like to live in a world where all debate can be had in a very civilized manner, you know, sat across under a tree with a cup of coffee and, you know, sorted out our points of view. And people can end that discussion by saying, agree to disagree and still be mm-hmm. friends, right? We yeah. would all love a world like that. But we don't have a world like that. Uh, we have political interests, we have financial interests, we have, you know, all sorts of cultural interests, we have, we, have, we played use people, all of those things. So we've, we've got, you know, as a species, we have a problem uh, with, with these kind of things. And we've always had problems with these kind of things. So I, I, going back to what you're saying, I think it's, it's a very thin line, I think it's very difficult to have a generic solution. But I think uh, each society in general, and by society, I don't mean just the people like us, I mean, even the people we elect, uh, our judiciary system and judicial system, uh, the, the entire, uh, all the aspects that constitute a society, I think together we need to take a discussion and a decision on what is okay and what isn't. Unfortunately, that doesn't happen. But every now and then what does happen is if a film comes out and causes a huge controversy at that point, you might not see the impact of that then and there, but over maybe a decade or two, and that's how change happens in any culture. You will start seeing that things have started changing and you might not know why they changed, but there have been, Movie, movements, cultural movements that have triggered that change to begin. And so more often than not, that trigger is uh, fairly violent and fairly hostile. But over a period of time, that has pushed the dial in one direction. I remember there was a lot of controversy when uh, the movie Fire came out. Mm, yeah. um, and it dealt with lesbianism, and it dealt yeah, with things yeah, of that. And, yeah. You know, there were theaters that were attacked, and things of that that were attacked, and 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 in general, look at how with how much more you know how much more space there is today to discuss that space, uh, discuss homosexuality, and and you know the the lifting of uh, the Article Three Seventy Seven, and all that has happened. Uh, but when you when when the movie first came out, and the, it created that you know big controversy, and no one would ever imagine that. We would get to a point where you know this. So much of it will be would have been acceptable, uh, and so much of it would have been accepted. It has a long way to go, but it's come a long way also. Yeah. Quite often we think of how much further we have to go, which is valid. But sometimes it's good to sit and think back of saying, how far have we come? So that movie created a flashpoint, and there was a lot of pro- a lot of issues around that, and there was a lot of you know polarizing views, like you rightly said, and and. Uh, but it, it it subsided, but it left its mark right it, it 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 moved the dial a little bit. The fact that that movie even came out was a big step, and since then it once it came out, it created a small space. right That space was was created. it had scars in that space, there was violence in that space. There was definitely a lot of damage that was done during that time. but when you when you when you look back now, I can say that 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 left a mark it to in on on society. It, I'm sure, influenced uh, filmmakers who want to talk about that issues, individuals who relate to that issue. It definitely was a great uh, step in, in that issue being represented. Mm. So sometimes I, I, I wish that it had, didn't have to resolve to that kind of violence. Uh, but that doesn't mean that filmmakers should stop talking about difficult issues. We can hope that more often than not, it will be resolved without violence. But because of the fear of things becoming violent, I don't think, uh, you know, because if you stop making films or stop creating works of art because of fear of violence, then the censorship censorship has won. Hmm. And we, we so therefore we shouldn't stop and not just in terms of creating work of art, but also consuming it as you know, there's a responsibility that viewers have also. Uh, to go and encourage that work of art and to watch that work of art and 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 for a lot of us to support it saying you know what i'm going to go watch this and i support this idea i support this issue and i'm going to watch that as a sign of support hmm. so i think uh, that whole process is is an important process and i i wish uh, the, 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 these kind of films get made and you know difficult issues get spoken about in different uh, works in different uh, forms of art without it resulting in in violence but creating that space of, you know, healthy debate, even if it's heated, but at least it's healthy. It leaves a mark. And I think that movie definitely did leave a mark.
0: Yeah, I think that was the same with the entire series of movies that were made, you know, fire, water, and all of that. Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. that was a really... uh, In first year of law, I remember watching water. Like my English Mm -hmm. teacher, she came to class. She's like, okay, we'll play this movie. So you guys watch it. I think for me, when I watched it at that point of time, it was a very... uh, Because of all the influence and all the amount of content that I watched from the from streaming platforms that is from the Western hemisphere that Mm -hmm. is because it's usually influencing all of our uh, ideas. And even though it's bringing good, good, good ideas and how to look at the world in a different lens, I think there is a polarizing aspect to it as well with that Western Mm -hmm. influence and all. I think when I watched water for the very first time, I was like, okay, yeah, this is a very good possibility of happening. But mm. I think where the debate pops in when these kinds of topics are brought in is that there is not much uh, literacy or not much education that is spread amongst all of these ideas. Like it's all just uh, how, how we look at it and how the people think if it's wrong, it would it'll be deemed as wrong. You know, mm. I think that's the entire problem with uh, having no understanding or not being open to uh, other interpretations as well. True.
1: I, I, I And also, I, I think I'd like to point out at this point is I think literacy doesn't have much to do with that. Hmm. I there are a lot of very well educated people who are also as rigid and close minded, you know, also, so I don't think... Uh, uh, literacy has its problems but i don't see literacy having anything to do with uh, internal growth or you to getting to a space where you can be you know tolerant i think literacy and tolerance don't necessarily go hand in hand uh, so uh, th- that's been one of the one of the issues that i've been you know finding very challenging in this in this country also because we assume that just because someone is educated that they're open minded and you know they're willing to see other points of view and that there is an automatic internal wisdom that's there, which I think is definitely a problematic way of looking at it. Mm. Uh, so because also, literacy, uh, I mean, we're deviating a little bit from the topic, but I, I just find that when it comes to controlling the media, there is a certain as certain uh, class of, of society that has given access to controlling that cinema. When you look at, you know, the censor board and things of that, A certain segment of society is allowed to censor cinema and has a say on what's okay and what isn't. And it leaves a big chunk of of the country and big chunk of people out of that space. And therefore, they don't have a choice at all, because they've been spoken on the people are spoken on their behalf. Mm. Uh, So that is definitely a, a bit of an issue. So when it comes to cinema, I think uh, in a way there is a certain amount of also an elitism that's there with, with filmmakers and cinema also, which is something that has to be addressed at some point uh, because there's there is a censor a board that decides who can watch and who can't watch and what's okay and what's not, what, what is not okay. Again, that's, that's pretty much global. Mm-hmm. That happens everywhere. But in this country, because we have such a wide spectrum of you know, people who are consuming that medium, uh, who gets to decide what is okay and what's what is what isn't okay that that problem that is that com that problem is compounded in this country.
0: Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I can, I really understand what you're trying to say. Okay, so how do you think uh, this entire, you know, polarization and uh, entire debate and all? How do you think that would affect? Uh, like, as you rightly mentioned earlier, I think movies and whatever literature that's coming out right now uh, excuse me that's like a mirror of how uh, the society is right now in the entire mm-hmm. in reality like people mm-hmm. are trying to mimic what's happening in reality into a form of art so that they can express it better and they can showcase their work as a whole to the global audience i think uh, that being the topic uh, how do you think movies should help should movies help for society to progress?
1: Hmm. Um, there's always been a big debate about what the role of art is, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's this thing of art for the sake of art, art for the sake of society. It's a, it's a, it's a tough debate that has been raging, you know, for for centuries now. And I think, uh, like I mentioned earlier, the number one aspect of art that determines its purpose is the commercial aspect. Hmm. When money is involved, it tends to hijack more often than not the idea behind it. Uh, It it hijacks the purpose of art creation. Uh, So whether it's cinema, whether it's books or whether it's, uh, you know, art, uh, painting and sculpture and any other form of music, uh, the commercial aspect tends to hijack the creative process. But if we look at if you look at art uh, without the commercial aspect of it. I think the purpose of art uh, depends on the individual artist for sure, but Mm -hmm. art comes out of society. And therefore, invariably, whether you like it or not, is a reaction to society, whether it's a mirror to it, whether it's an opposition to it, it's it's reacting to the society we're living in, right. So no art form can be created outside of its own outside of the mindscape of the artist and the mindscape of the artist is created by the culture he's engaged or she's engaging in, right. Mm -hmm. So if we were to, I don't know if the purpose of art should necessarily be for like the betterment of man because then that's very subjective because you know, who decides what is better for man or not. Like collectively, exactly, yeah. I think society decides what's good for it. And that's what culture is. Culture is a, series, is a series of rules and regulations that we live by and that we have accepted saying, okay, this was what defines our current culture. And that keeps evolving and changing. But for a filmmaker, I think more and more than what, the purpose of what he's trying to say, what's important is if he or she is not afraid to say what they want to say. And I think that is something that as society, we should encourage uh, as much as possible saying, you know, should tell the artist saying, don't be afraid to say what you have to say, whether I like it or not doesn't matter, say what you have to say. Right. And maybe you'll say things that will make me look at things differently. And in the artistic process, I believe that the consumer of that art form is as involved and responsible as the creator of that art form, because that dialogue is complete only when it's consumed. Hmm. If you're creating a work of art and nobody gets to see it, then it's limited to that space and it has no impact of society around outside. And that's fine if that's what the artist wants to do. But if it comes into public domain, and if the artist decides to release it into public domain, then consuming of that art also becomes part of the artistic process. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's that Zen saying, right, if, if a tree falls in the forest and nobody heard it. So if uh, a movie is created, a book is written or, or, or a painting or a sculpture or a music, a piece of music is created and it's sent out there, I think the whole process of consuming it, creating and consuming it is what completes the artistic process. And I think we need to create a space as consumers of that to allow and encourage artists to say, say what you want to say. And hopefully in that process, not just you and not just the art, but me as an individual, and therefore the society also will benefit from it. Hmm. So to so that the, the nobody, nobody should take on the role of educating a society or educating an audience, I think that role of growth and education should come from the individual, that is the only person who should take responsibility for that. But what an artist can do is to say, OK, this is what I think and this is what I feel about certain things. I'm sharing that with you. What do you think and what do you feel? And can we have a discussion and debate about it that maybe all of us will get a better understanding of that issue. Hmm. So I think that should be the role of art and to create and express without fear.
0: Okay, so on the same line, do you think an artist is, uh, artist must have an imposed duty upon himself to make sure that he's conveying whatever is uh, true to its form, or uh, to put in better words, do you think the artist must have the responsibility of, uh, you know, like how it's always said, like, there should be a moral message that's put into, you know, uh, to the domain, to the domain of whatever art is being happening. And how, however, however, uh, the artist wants to express the, the entire responsibility of him making a very, uh, understanding and art, uh, understanding and a very, uh, expressive art form or artwork, which is, uh, which conveys a proper social message at the same time. I think should that be the entire, uh, should that be a duty imposed upon a, an artist?
1: Mm. Yeah, good point. Um, these, these conversations, I mean, this, this issue is definitely, you know, has been heated, uh, has been you know discussed a lot. And there's been a lot of heated discussion regarding that.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, personally, I feel that the artist has a bit of a responsibility towards uh, the space that towards the space that uh, she or she is expressing the work of art in. I think uh, the in, if the intent is to be, like I said earlier, to be provocative, or the intent is to to create, you know, to be sensationalist, then there's definitely a problem.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, I think that should definitely uh, should not be encouraged too much. And for this, you know, shocking, for the sake of shocking, should not be encouraged too much. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I think that should also not prevent uh, an artist from um, sharing an issue that could be controversial. I think... There has to be, this always takes me down, down to one very, very important aspect of, of any sort of communication or interaction. What is the intent? If the intent is to discuss an issue that is important to discuss, then I don't think the artist should, should hold back. But if the intention is to just provoke a certain reaction or to instigate a group intentionally just to get a reaction, then there's an issue, then there's a problem. So uh, the responsibility lies not on the topic, but the responsibility uh, lies on the artist's shoulders, on the intent of why, why you're doing this, why the artist is doing this. And I think that's a subtle distinction, but a very, very important dis- distinction. Because a lot of people get away with sensationalism just for you know, feeling important or just to get noticed. And that is, that is definitely problematic. And I think that causes, that does more damage than good. But once in a while, when you, when you look like, you know, when you look at that, that whole series and, you know, fire and all that entire series, I think the intention there was not to, that after seeing the movies, I didn't think the intention was there to be sensationalist, but the intention there was to talk about important issues that were difficult, but needed to be spoken about. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that is the responsibility. And I think, you know, the, I think she, she handled that with a lot of responsibility and and the other other aspect of it is important. Also, you need to accept the consequences of your actions. Hmm. So if, if, if you release something and you know, it's going to cause a problem, you need to be able to accept that, OK, whatever happens as a consequence of this, I am partially, not fully, but partially responsible for it.
0: Hmm.
1: And if you're willing to shoulder that responsibility, then it's good. You can't you know, create something and cause havoc and walk away saying, hey, I'm an artist, I can do whatever I, have. I, I want. I have no responsibility for it hmm. that I don't think is OK. I think to say that, yeah, I, I, I intended to start a debate, but it's unfortunate that I didn't encourage people to get violent. There was a violent debate. That was not my intention. And that's not what I created. But yes, this would cause some sort of reaction. And I'm willing to accept the consequences of that. Hmm. Not entirely, but definitely know that it will cause some amount of debate and reaction. You can't uh, expect to come out with an issue that you know will, will be problematic and not have you know, some repercussions. So I think going back to what you were asking, uh, the intent is what uh, the responsibility uh, lies on the on the artist's shoulders. Saying what is the intent behind your cinema, and I think Fire is a really really good good example of that.
0: I think uh, to you know uh, to sum the entire conversation up, mm-hmm. I think there's one Kantian philosophical line that pops up to my head. I think Immanuel Kant he says yeah I if I'm not wrong, he says your end should justify the means you take. I think uh, that is one of the most simplistic way to, you know, try to give an explanation to everything because Mm -hmm. when your end is clear and when you want to, you know, give out this message that is truly inspirational and it's truly uh, to encourage people to understand differences and different opinions and different uh, cultures, different ideas, At whole, I think that should be the be the entire intent, as you rightly mentioned, rather than being sensational and the means that you take should always justify the end what you seek to achieve. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that's one way of definitely one way of looking at that. And I think that's something that it, it's, it's, it's a very deep, deep and heavily, again, another heavily debated, you know, means justify the end means don't justify hmm, the yeah. end, it's heavily debated. Yeah. But uh, I think if the intent is absolutely clear, and the intent is honest and true, I think more often than not, the means will, more often that I have found that the means will will be authentic and honest also. Because you're not going to do something, you know, that is created, that's been created deliberately to hurt somebody. And I think that's what I meant about the intent. And that's what, you know, Mm, the same thing about means and, and the end saying, I'm not doing this to hurt somebody's sentiment purposely. I'm doing this because this needs to be spoken about. Yes, I understand someone's sentiments are going to be hurt, but I'm, but that can't stop me from talking about this. And let's then have a debate about this, where you share your point of view, I'll share mine, and maybe, hopefully, we'll reach common ground. Okay. And I think that role, that role of an artist, if artists come, approach their art from that perspective, I think we'll, we'll have a really, really, one, interesting cinema that will come out, and two, as a society and as a culture, I think we'll really grow. And to some extent, I think uh, you know, some parts of Western Europe have been an example of that. I think uh, more and more we open ourselves to multiple points of view, Everybody benefits. Hmm. And who better than the artists to make us look at wider perspective, look at multiple points of view than artists?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to say. OK, so as we're reaching the conclusion of our conversation, mm-hmm. I'd like to ask you, what do you think is the future for cinema? Where do you see cinema like, say, the next 20 years?
1: Ah, oh, uh, next 20 years, some of the things that I think uh, will be interesting with cinema is I think, uh, like, uh, I think, Balderdash, I think, was it? Uh, which, uh, the interactive cinema bit that came from um, Black Mirror, I think oh, it's going Bandersnatch, of, I guess. Band, sorry, it's Bandersnatch, right. Huh, huh. Uh, I think that, uh, genre of cinema is going to really, really, or storytelling, I wouldn't call it hmm, cinema yeah, only cinema anymore. I think that yeah. form of storytelling is going to uh, definitely play a much more important role in the next, uh, you know, two decades. Um, I think uh, uh, streaming platforms and larger narrative styles is going to pick up a lot more over the next uh, two 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 decades because um, there's tremendous response to that. I think people are enjoying the larger format of storytelling. I think Mm. it's giving scope, like I said, not just to the creative people, but even for the audience to engage in in, in a story and in a narrative for a longer duration. Um, And movies, I think, are going to start getting a lot more uh, visually appealing. I think they're going to to face a lot of challenge from uh, streaming platforms and therefore they'll have to push their Wow factor and entertainment factor a lot more that 's what I think will happen to cinema over the next twenty years. I think they will get visually more exciting. I think you 'll have a lot more obviously now almost every other film is 3 d now, and the technology will get pushed harder and harder uh, because cinema's got split in two there is theatrical release cinema and then there is streaming platform release cinema so that mm. difference is going to start happening and and therefore, when you say cinema i don 't think we can talk about only cinema in general you have to specify which kind of cinema because there are movies now that are making that are being made straight for streaming platforms and there are movies that are for theatrical release and i think theatrical release cinema which is the classic cinema that we know i think will focus more on visual appeal uh, rather than you know uh, what what uh, rather than uh, what we call human interest stories uh because uh human-centric stories in that sense because that will go to streaming platforms and screens will become more and more visually exciting cinema. I think that's where it's going to head in the next 20 years.
0: I think uh, this, this again, reminds me of uh, a section of the book that I'm reading, which I got for the uh, book exchange that we did in des mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. uh, the author, he tries to explain how there are two forms of understanding for every aspect that is, so mm-hmm. there's a classical understanding where everyone tries to see, tries to look at and understand the entire form the uh, mm-hmm. entire meaning of whatever's being conveyed. And then there's mm-hmm. another uh, perspective where it's just is uh, he, he phrases it like it's it's called romantic uh, view or something. So he just, mm-hmm. he says, everyone tries to look at what, what they're seeing just on the face of it. They don't try to understand anything uh, in depth. They don't want to understand. They just look at it and then they uh, dismiss that point.
1: I think mm. that should be a
0: really... Uh, healthy way to understand everything people have to try to figure out the classical way of understanding and analyzing every single aspect so i think that would be a very healthy way to progress in whatever stream that you are uh, wanting to True.
1: and i think that needs to be taught and our education system doesn't teach that unfortunately i think its emphasis is to just to skim everything on the surface the rote the mm-hmm. mugging the this that i think the sad part is we are not being taught to do that it needs to be taught yeah. Uh, and I think that's a very, very important part for any, a very important aspect for any society to grow. Like you rightly said, the classical way of understanding things where you go deeper, we're never we're not taught how to go deeper. And I think we are always, uh, you know, pushed in a hurry to just skim the surface and look at you know, the romantic understanding of something and move on. And uh, I'm hoping that you know, the conversations that we have in that extra step and you know, conversations mm-hmm. like this, Will encourage people to look at things, you know, slightly deeper, and and not not that they stop enjoying mainstream cinema, but also sit down and reflect upon what they are consuming and why they're consuming it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that tells us more. Therefore, you find yourself through it, yeah, right? So yeah. that's why I run that series, "Find Yourself in Cinema," because whatever you consume uh, tells you a little bit about who you are. Mm-hmm. And so you become a part of that filmmaking process. So when the filmmaker or an artistic process, so when an art, uh, one part of it is creation of it, and the second part of it is consuming of it and you become part of that process. And therefore you find yourself through that work of art.
0: I think we came a full circle of uh, me asking you the very first question and we ending the conversation on that
1: note. Yeah, true.
0: Okay, uh, so before we end the conversation, I usually give my guests 30 seconds to speak their heart out. You can say whatever you want to, uh, I'll give you 30 seconds. So if you wanted to, uh, if you want to convey something to the per- audience who are listening, yeah. you can go ahead or if you want to make it like a time capsule for yourself, you can do that as well. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you 30 seconds, okay. you have full liberty.
1: <laughs> uh, okay, it's interesting that we're doing this on on the second uh, or third of January, or the beginning <laughs> of this year, uh, on the back of a very, very challenging year. So I think if at all, I want to talk about uh, anything, it, I think what's foremost on my mind is what is foremost on, most on and pretty much everybody's mind on this planet is that, you know, we have been through a really, really challenging uh, one year, the last eight, 10 months have been really, really challenging. But I have a feeling that there is some light at the end of this tunnel. And I think for those who have, you know, managed to survive this, and I know a lot of people have lost loved ones and lost people they care about. I think this is a time for definitely a time, time of hope. And uh, it would be wonderful if we took the learnings that uh, from the last one year and reflected upon that and realized that I think we have survived this together as a collective. And mm-hmm. if we focus more on being there for each other in the following year and subsequently, you know, uh, going ahead in our lives as individuals, know that we've supported each other. We've been there for each other. We couldn't meet each other, and therefore we found other ways to connect with each other. And now that we're coming out of this, and starting to come out of this uh, globally with the vaccine and things like that, I think what we shouldn't forget is the fact that we pulled through this together. Uh, and I think we need to spend this spend the next few years nurturing those relationships that helped us pull through this and be there for each other more going
0: forward. Yeah, so, I think uh, that that reminds me of uh, how people always try to find a way. No, even when there's no other way to do it, there mm-hmm. are always alternatives to yeah. whatever problems that you have.
1: True. I think that's been the reason why the why this species has been so successful on this planet. I mm-hmm. mean, we survived yeah. far in the, you know, the, the melting of the ice age and things of like that. We've survived journeys across oceans when with made out of uh, you know, boats made out of wood, uh, planks of wood tied together or, or bark uh, you know, tree trunks tied together. Mm-hmm. We've been through a hell of a lot in the last 100,000 years of our evolution. And what we need to remember is that we did this working as a community, working as a collective, and not as individuals. As individuals, we didn't stand a chance. And we tend to forget that. And technology, in a way, has this unfortunate byproduct of isolating us more and more. Uh, That's one of the reasons why we started tests. right? We told people come together, you know, let go of it. Unfortunately, pandemic made us use technology more. We were trying to get people off technology a little bit. (laughs) But even then the important part was we said, okay, even if this, even if you need to depend on technology, let's do this together. Let's use technology to bring us together. The larger part was bringing us together. Hmm. And I think that's something we tend to, we have, we were tending to forget. And I think it's important. We remind ourselves that, you know, we survived this together and we should continue remembering that. So whether technology should just be a tool that uses us to connect with more people and not isolate us and make us go you know, away from people and you know, get involved in just the device that's in our hand, but use that as a tool to connect with people on the other side of the device.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a really good thing to say. I think that's, that's how it, everything should be, like, to get people together, to become healthy, to, become, to grow. As a, as yeah. A, yeah. Okay, so Absolutely. before we end the show, uh, I wanna ask you something. What's the last song you listened to? The last song I listened to,
1: oh uh, wow! I think it was just now I was listening to a Pink Floyd song, "Learning to Fly." Huh. I was just playing a retro list of mine on. I've con- I created it on Spotify, and I was just playing that. And I think while driving back, that just kicked in. Huh. So, have you heard that album? Have you heard that song from Floyd? Uh,
0: uh, I I have a little bit understanding of Pink Floyd's essence, but. Not okay. So any Floyd, right.
1: uh, another brick in the wall. Huh, yeah, saw, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah. Great. yeah,
0: I think Pink Floyd had like their own genre going on there, their own vibe. Oh yeah,
1: I, I mean, I can, I can do a ten-hour session on just Pink Floyd. <laughs> <laughs> it's a whole series, like chronological growth of Pink Floyd and the socio-cultural context of Pink Floyd is a whole different debate altogether. So mm-hmm. at some point, if you want to talk, we can talk yes, about yes, uh, the fact that Floyd definitely. had uh, yeah. on you know on us as and especially my generation.
0: I think the next uh, aspect that you have to, you know, tell, our, tell our everyone on T S is uh, find yourself in music. I think that's yeah, a absolutely. very wonderful thing to do.
1: Happily, I have a whole bunch of songs that I have in my head that I'd really like to share. So at some point, I'd be more than happy to. And Floyd and, you know, Tal, Jethro Tal, Floyd, the things that I grew up with and mm-hmm. the impact that they had on society at that point, which we can feel even now, uh, is, is amazing. So I would be happy to share that and take you guys through that journey.
0: Yes, definitely. I think the next conversation that we will be having on my podcast would be on that. Hopefully,
1: superb. Absolutely happy to anytime.
0: Okay, so on that note, I think uh, I'd like to thank you for taking your time off and talking to no, me.
1: Absolutely. Sorry, it took some time to get onto this. Just so, you know, <laughs> lot was happening last year. But <laughs> thank you for being. I really enjoyed this, and I'd be happy to have more conversations like this with you. And you know, I hope you do uh, more such podcasts. So I'm looking forward to hearing. All of them and looking to learning the other ones also. If this is how you are having your podcast. I'm quite in you're quite excited to listen to your next set of podcasts. So ah, thank you super, for thank having you. me on this.
0: Yeah, All I'm right. really uh, glad that we had this conversation, and I'm really looking forward to whatever we do in the future as well. So oh, super. Yeah, on that amazing note, I think it's time to end the show. Thank you for listening. Right. Stay safe absolutely. and uh, until the vaccine comes, so just hope. yes,
1: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely done. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.